0: Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. Today's sermon is part two, the Christian altar from Hebrews 13, 10 to 16. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org. Click the current sermons link and click, click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 10 to 16. And then we will pray and get started. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp. Go to him, excuse me, outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we gather this morning as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as your church, as those who have gone outside the camp to where our Lord Jesus went on the cross. And we give thanks today. We have thanks for these words. We pray that you would teach us. And by your Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and convict our hearts that we might love Christ more. I pray that He would increase, that we would decrease, that I would decrease. I pray that Jesus Christ would be our hero, which in turn would, would make You our hero. Father, help our hearts greatly. Father, in spite of me, I pray that You would work. As always, I pray, our sins are always before us. But Father, we, we have an advocate the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for someone here who may not be a Christian, that today this person would hear the good news of the gospel. But as a child, that uh, Father, they would hear from their parents as well, even as we give thanks for the Sunday school lesson this morning. I pray that, uh, that those who hear my voice, Father, if they are not a Christian, would, that you would give them life today to look under Christ and be saved. Father, we give you these words, we give you this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the title of the sermon this week is just like it was last week, The Christian Altar. And today is part two of The Christian Altar, which we know, uh, If you last week was a very topical sermon on the altar in general, but The Christian Altar that The writer to Hebrews speaks of here is not the box in front or the table in front of the church or the altar you come and you pray to. The altar that he is speaking of is Christ himself. And so last week we considered three three general truths about the Christian altar. That the altar was one of holiness, two, the altar was one of sacrifice, and three, it was an it is an altar of provision. And so those were three big topics last week. Well, this week we're going to continue. And I just have two, two truths this week and then some applications from the text and a few comments to, to finish this out. And so here's our two points for today. The altar that we serve, who is Christ Himself, but the altar we serve is one of permanence. And, and this overlaps a bit from last week, I know. That'll be a little shorter and then number two, the altar we serve is, is an altar of reproach. And that's a, that's a big word, a good word, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's get started. The, the altar that we serve as Christians today is an altar of permanence. Now I get this truth really from the entire passage and the entire book of Hebrews and really the entire Bible. But in the context of Hebrews, he is merely saying... In another way, that the old Mosaic sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ. And those who eat, eat of that altar under the old Mosaic covenant. They have no right to eat of the, of the altar of Christ. The one that, that we eat of as Christians. I spoke about, again, this truth a little bit last week. But in our text, we have two different altars. The first one, the altar that was there in Mosaic Law, Mosaic Covenant, has been abolished in that sacrificial system. But the other altar that we have today, we're still serving an altar, still coming to an altar. That second altar is Christ, the Christian altar. The altar of Christ is permanent. He is lasting. He is the eternal altar that we serve look at verse 14 chapter 13 verse 14 here for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come the author of hebrews is so interested in pointing us to christ because christ look back again at verse 8 of chapter 13 jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever he is pointing us to christ who is permanent For the Hebrews of this letter, the Christian Hebrews, and those who were were turning away from what they were hearing, they were continuing to eat of the old Mosaic law, the brazen altar there in the tabernacle. And I would say... After the tabernacle and the building of the city of Jerusalem and the building of the temple, the same stood. They are in that temple and they're going to that temple and they are still eating of that altar today. Although that temple does not remain. But as we will talk about this in, in this sermon, those who eat of that altar are really looking to works-based righteousness. And, they, they, and what they're eating passed away. But what we have in Christ is permanent. I think back in the context of Hebrews, those who were turning back to the old system <clears throat> in chapter six of Hebrews, if you want to turn there with me or just listen, chapter 6 verse four, those who were turning back after they had heard Christ and then turning back. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Strong warning there. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So he is saying, he was saying in that context, if you're still going back to that altar to find forgiveness of your sins and reconciliation with God, you will perish. For the blood of bulls and goats could never cover your sins. That old sacrificial system, the Mosaic Covenant was not permanent. It was given, it was good, and it was great, and it was given for a time. But it was a shadow and a type of the true fulfillment. So its purpose was to point to another altar, who is Christ, the permanent one. So let me ask, from which altars does this world eat today? If we were to try to bring this forward, because we're not, we're not Jewish folks here, um, and, and this applies to us, but just generally speaking, what about the world from what altars does the world eat that does them no good Well, I think about Islam Islam eats from from the altar of works as they do their best to keep the five pillars of their faith hoping that at the end of the day God will accept them and their scales will their good will outweigh the bad Judaism still today even though the temple is destroyed They're not going to that temple anymore. They still eat of the old altar, also hoping God will forgive their sins as they bring their sacrifices and live under that old covenant still today. Hindus and Buddhists, they also eat from the altar of works as they bring their sacrifices and their prayers to various places of worship and as they live to try to do good. I even remember way back when we lived in, in, you know, in Kazan there in Russia we would go out to these villages and there were Muslim villages of course but even within the midst of those Muslim villages there were other people groups and on one occasion these folks actually took me to a place out in the woods to a totem pole that had been there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and they were still taking their food and there was food and parts all around in the woods there where they were bringing their sacrifices of of food and trinkets and gifts and thinking in some way that God would accept them. This is happening all over the world. And so I I think that, that generally speaking, if we are trusting in the works that we can do, the things that we can bring to God, then we are eating from that old altar as opposed to coming to Christ who will Cover our sins, and I think a lot of the people in this world, if you if you're doing evangelism and you're talking to people, which I, I assume we all are, and you, you you talk to them about the Lord and you talk about morality, always has to come up in some way, shape, or form. They're going to say a lot of times, "Well, I'm better than this person." And they'll often de- deflect and they say, "Well, I'm not a murderer, and I you know I'm not an adulterer. I'm a, I'm a good husband or a, I'm a good wife. Or I'm a good worker. I haven't stolen from anyone." And so they tend to deflect and just move, you know, have me or whoever's talking to them think about, you know, someone who is a little bit worse than they are. And we often do that. But brothers and sisters, this world that we live in is eating at the altar of self-righteousness and good works. But we, we eat from a different altar. The only altar that offers food that sustains, that remains, and that is eternal, the only one that lasts. And who is this? What is our altar? It is the Lord Jesus Himself. Jesus says this, I am the living bread who has come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's John six fifty one. Jesus says to the woman at the well, which I have often used recently, In the illustrations, he says to this woman, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, today there is only one permanent altar from which we must eat. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. By faith, we believe in Him. And so I would say to you today, if you are not a Christian, if you are trusting in the good works of your parents, if you are a child, or if you're trusting in the good works of your coming to church, if you're not a child, you're an adult, and you are just trusting in the things that you do that God might accept you, I won't be so naive to to think that someone sitting here wouldn't be like this, because that's how we are. We just, you know, the, wage, the, the worker is worthy of his wages. And so if I'm going to work good works, then God's going to give me my, my wages. But the problem is that by nature, we are sinners and we need to be saved. And so I would say to you, look unto Christ and listen to the rest of this sermon particularly. But that's the first truth <clears throat> this, this morning, that the altar that we serve as Christian is one of permanence. And it will not go away. Jesus is the same today. Yesterday, today, and forever. Second truth is that we serve an altar, or we say we eat from an altar, of reproach. Look at verses 11 to 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So... Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, here's, our, here's our, what we're commanded to do. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So there's my word that I'm getting this from, an altar of reproach. And I think that just very briefly, here the application is clear for us. Jesus suffered and died on the cross outside the, the, the city of Jerusalem. Therefore, if we are to follow him, we must also suffer persecution, suffering, and even give our lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'll come back to this application in a few minutes. But before we do, let's just consider some very important truths about what these verses mean, I think, about reproach. So think with me for a few minutes here on reproach. <clears throat> In these verses, the author speaks of the old sacrifices. Under Mosaic law is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. We've spoken of that. These verses speak of the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, which we also spoke greatly about last week. And it's called, this is called the reproach of Jesus. So, let me ask, what does reproach mean? Somebody comes to you and says, what does it mean to reproach someone? Well, it's not a positive, happy word, for sure. It means to show disappointment. If you've ever had someone show disappointment in you, or displeasure with you, it can mean disgrace or dishonor. It can mean to rebuke someone, or to bring a scandal against a person. Here's some synonyms, okay? Some other words that mean, that that can also be translated the same way as reproach. Here's some synonyms. To berate someone. To call someone down. To castigate. To chastise. To dress down. To lambast. To reprimand. To scold. To tongue lash. And to upbraid These are synonyms for what it means to reproach. I I think about the times when I played. I didn't have many days of football when I was younger. But I played all the way up to to like end of ninth grade. And this big guy hit me. And I thought football's over for me. I'm going to a different sport. that's a little bit safer. But particularly with football, coaches are often, when you mess it up and you mess it up bad, they get in your face and they're doing all of these things. It is a place of reproach, when you're standing there and you're taking that from your coach, it is not a good place to be, and I've done that in all sports, um, and uh, I'm sure you guys could tell some stories there, <clears throat> but to have reproach, or to use the word reproach, it's, it's not a lovely word, and so to understand the meaning of reproach, though, in, in the context of what he's telling us here, <clears throat> um, we must think about what it means to go, quote, outside the camp. Again, look at verse 13. Here's our command. We've got to do this, brothers and sisters. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So to understand this, we must go back to verse 11 as our picture. So look at verse 11 one more time. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So here the author is thinking about Israel's time in the wilderness. As they traveled, what did this look like? And they stopped to make camp. What did they do? Well, they set up their tents and it was told to them exactly how they were to set up their tents. And then what was right in the middle of their camp? It was the tabernacle, the place working its way from the outer court to the inner court to the Holy of Holies right in the middle of the camp. And so the priests would bring all kinds of offerings, but here in our context, the offering is the sin offering, okay? Because there were peace offerings and grain offerings and other kinds of offerings, but here it is the sin offering. And those animals were brought and they were killed and their blood was thrown on the altar in the holy place, um, just outside of the Holy of Holies, the brazen altar. And then the priests were allowed to, for the most of those sacrifices, were, were allowed to eat the leftover parts of those sacrifices. <clears throat> but for certain sin offerings, so particularly offerings that dealt with sin, the priests were not allowed to eat those parts. But instead, they would take those parts and they would go outside of the camp, outside the holy place then go outside the tents, they would go outside to a specific, specific place there, and they would burn those parts of those animals up outside the camp. Now, some of these sins that they were commanded to do this for, if you go back and do a big study, which we don't have the time today, but some of the unintentional sins that the people committed, some of the, 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 and the sins, unintentional sins of the priest, which go all the way down, I believe, all the way to sins of the heart or maybe ignorant sins. The Bible speaks of these in, in that context where they didn't know they had done wrong, but they had sinned. And so for all of these kind of sins, they were to be taken outside and burned up outside the camp. And also, the Day of Atonement. This actually, this is what happened on the Day of, Day of Atonement. The, the animal, the well, the, the bull and the goat, but they were taken outside and burned up outside the the city or outside the camp. And later in, the, in Jerusalem, we're taken outside the city. So we got outside the camp and outside the city where these sacrifices were burned up. So my question is, that will help us think through this a little bit. Why outside the camp? Why was it so important to go outside the city of Jerusalem and later on or outside the camp during the days of the tabernacle? Well, think about for the Israelite. To the Israelite, there was nothing worse than to be put out of the camp or the city. To be put outside of the camp or outside of the city meant that you were outside of God's place. To To be put outside meant that you were separated from the tabernacle, separated from the temple, you were separated from God's protection, you were separated from God's pleasure. So to be put outside the camp mean that you, meant that you were in some way, to use the, the words from the Old Testament, unclean or unholy in some way, if you were put outside the camp. I, I, and so I, as I thought through this, it's helpful to go back and see some examples of those who were put outside the camp or what was put outside the camp. The first thing from the Old Testament that I think of were were lepers. Leviticus 13 says, The leprous person, those who had a particular unclean, unholy skin disease, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. So if the disease goes away, then he can come back into the the camp and into the city. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Criminals. In one case of blasphemy, we read in Leviticus 14. Bring out of the camp the one who cursed. And let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. So, lepers, criminals, also those who were defiled or made unclean or unholy in some way. Numbers 5 3, we read, You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. It was the place where, where in all honesty, just filth was put into places to be outside the camp to be like a garbage dump somewhere where, where filth would be deposited. Deuteronomy 23, 12. You shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go out to it. You shall have a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it, turn back, and cover up your excrement. Because the Lord your God was a place of the the latrine. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you, to give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp shall be holy, so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. If you were in Sunday school this morning, just... By reference, what happened to the rebellious child, the rebellious son? They were to take him where? I think it was outside the camp or outside the, the city there that that person would be stoned to death. And so when we come to this, we must feel the seriousness of what it means to go outside the camp. Brothers and sisters, the worst place on earth... For the Israelite at that time in that context was outside the camp. And later on, to go outside of Jerusalem. There was no place like it. It was the opposite of holiness. The opposite of favor. The opposite of of goodwill. It was a place of reproach. That is the meaning of the place of reproach. I hope that when we come to this text though and we get to the next words here it's really clear to us this was the place that our Lord Jesus went to be crucified for our sins and he never sinned he did not deserve to go there Isaiah 53 12 he was numbered with the transgressors In other words, they they counted him like those criminals who were put outside the camp. Matthew, excuse me, Galatians 3.13. He became a curse for us. Matthew 27.46. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where, Where did Jesus know that he would be when God forsook him? Outside the city. There, Isaiah 53, 10. There, outside the city. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. John 19, 16. So they took Jesus and He went out. There it is. Where did He go out of? The city. He went out, bearing His own cross. To the place called the place of skull, which in Aramaic, Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others. And who were the two others? They were criminals, murderers, criminals. One on either side and Jesus in the middle of those criminals. So when we think about going outside the camp, which is commanded for us to do, To go outside the camp is to go where Jesus is, where he went. And so first and foremost for us, to go outside the camp is to take our sins outside the camp where they will be burned up forever. Never to be found again. This is what we spoke about last week, expiation. So when you go outside the camp, when you trust in the Lord Jesus, when you put your faith in Him, we might say, when you receive Him, you go outside the camp and you, by faith, trust in His sacrifice as He was sacrificed. And in Him, all of your sins are burned up. They are taken away. This is the picture we have. To go outside the camp is to go to the place of God's wrath. To go out there where His wrath is. Out of, his, out of your comfort. Go out there where His displeasure is. Out there where His contempt is. Out there where His reproach is. Think about this. Just, just uh, When we were commanded to go outside the gate, outside the city, and we go out there, and we are just like the rest of those sacrifices. We are sinful people by nature and by choice. And we go out there as the lepers. as the um, And there's a little different circumstance of the lepers, I know, but the criminals particularly, and, and those who are defiled, and though the, the rebellious child. All of these things, if we take all of our sins this week and this last month, and this last year, and all of our anger, and all of our failure to trust God in the ways He has told us to trust Him, as we've maybe not been the best of husbands, we've not been the best wives, we've not been the best fathers, we've not been children, the best, most obedient children. But we go outside the camp, and we go out there because we deserve to go out there, don't we? Because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We deserve what we are getting when we go outside the camp. But then, when we get outside the camp, and we're waiting for the displeasure of God, the reproach of God to fall upon us, what do we find? We find that God's displeasure and His wrath and His punishment has already fallen upon another Sacrifice in our place. This is propitiation. The wrath of God is taken away. This is the cross of Christ. This is what we have as Christians. The Apostle John says, My little children, I am writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Anybody here not sin? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, oh, brothers and sisters, to go outside the camp. There, we will find all of the blessings of God outside the camp, because our Lord Jesus has gone before us. And this is the opposite of Judaism under Mosaic law and the covenant there with Moses and the sacrificial system particularly. But there's much more meaning here than this. and We could go on and on and we don't have time today. But to go outside the camp also means that our hope lies not in the old Mosaic covenant. And as we've seen, all of those sacrifices but upon the one time permanent sacrifice of Christ who suffered outside the camp and to suffer outside the camp also means that the gospel of Christ is now not just in the city of Jerusalem where is it it's on the outside and where's the outside that is the whole world as the gospel goes to the Gentiles The gospel has now come to the entire world because Jesus went there outside the camp. And it will continue to go outside the camp until all of the elect, the people of God, are brought in. So to go outside the camp for us also means to go to the world. Jesus says what? All authority has been given to me as you go. Where? As you go, about your stuff every day, but... As you go, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them what? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. That is what we do. So to go outside the camp is to find grace and truth in Christ. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so... Just very easily, if you are a Christian today, if you've trusted in that sacrifice, then you have gone outside the camp. That's one huge aspect of it. But also, I think in the context of this passage, to go outside the camp is to follow Jesus where He went. Persecutions, sufferings, the reproach that He took, we also must take, except As being a sacrifice, we cannot do that because we are the recipients of the sacrifice. But in the example, the persecutions and the sufferings and the reproach that we get because we name the name of Christ and we've gone outside of the altar of the world, then we will receive the same. Hebrews 10 34. Back in the context there. For you had compassion on those in prison you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one so we'll 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 get there in a few minutes at the end but to go outside the camp also pictures what we find look at verse 14 for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come All the Old Testament types and shadows are fulfilled in Christ. And Christ has inaugurated the new creation. Already we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. But we can't get around the fact that we still wait for the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise here, the city that is to come. The coming of the Lord Jesus, the general resurrection of the dead, the new creation of heaven and earth. And so today, all of these things stands or falls upon the reproach of Christ going outside the camp, outside the city. So those are my two truths today. So with that in mind, let me end with just a couple applications right from the text. And we could actually make these two more truths, but I'm going to do them more as applications as we try to close the sermon up. Application number one. We serve an altar of worship. In other words, I could have said this, the, 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 that we worship, and we talk about this often, I do from the pulpit. Worship is, is when? Just right now? No. In fact, it's, it's I, I, well, I want to say it's more prevalent, but what you do in your home and what you do in your heart is the true worship that, that we worship, and the, the, the worship that we practically do. So we worship God continually with our hearts and with our lips that praise the name of God in Christ. To go outside the camp is to worship continually because it wasn't just a priest coming one time, one week, one month, or the one year day of atonement. It is something that goes on 24-7 every second of every day. Look at verse 15. Through Him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. I think of the woman at the well again. as She says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, you Jews say this, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor on that mountain in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father? And so, how are these things looking in your life when you just think about worship 24 7 in your family, in your home? Just it, so helpful, too, Greg, the last couple weeks. Just want to encourage you if if you um, didn't come to Sunday school or didn't get a chance to listen, they're taped, right? And where do you find those? Are they on the website or they just got to see you? They're on the website. Go and listen. Just practically what does it look like to be a man and a, and a woman a husband a wife and then even to children and the to, to grandparents but one of the things that, that we do as Christians one of the evidences if you are a Christian is that the way we worship is it starts in our heart even as we sang these songs this morning just beautiful songs just singing what God how it complements the reproach of Christ what we sung this morning but it starts in our heart and then where does it go? You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that that He's risen from the dead. You will be saved. It starts in the heart but then what happens? It comes out in the praise of our lips with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with those that we play disc golf with, with those that we that we work with. That's what we do. And so that's First application, our worship is 24-7 because of the cross of Christ and what He has done. Application number two, this just follows this. We serve an altar of good works. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It is good, even this morning, as we talked, we're going to take... Some, some, some folks are going to take suppers to Anna. That's just one little thing. And Let me just say, that's a big deal, taking suppers. If you haven't done that ever before, go on the website and take a supper. That's just a little thing that we can do as we serve one another. When we meet in home groups, how do we serve one another? How do we ask one another, how can I pray for you, brother or sister? How can I help you? What can I do for you? Because this is the context. And so we serve an altar of good works Romans 12.1, do you remember that verse? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Oh, the mercy of God. It comes to us because Jesus went outside the camp. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we are presenting our bodies when? Sunday morning when we come to church? Of course not. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. That is why we do not go back to the altar of the old Mosaic sacrificial system anymore. That's the reason we don't bring the blood of bulls and goats anymore. Jesus' offering was a one-time, and by faith in Him, we live out our lives in worship, and we do good one to another. So He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, we don't bring animals to sacrifice on the altar. We have a holy, permanent altar whose name is Jesus. He is the priest, if you've ever thought about this. He is the priest, he is the sacrifice, and he is the altar. All of these things picture him. And now we worship 24-7. And our worship is displayed in our good works one to another. And now, you might say, well... Does God save me because of my good works? No. And you might say, does God accept my good works? Yes. Because Christ died on the cross and he works. And by his spirit, by as we trust in Christ, he accepts our works. That's why to the world? Yes. I, I believe for sure there are many good old boys out there that honestly they, they do at, at times do more good works than Christians. And the world does great works, but there is no faith. There is no faith. And God does not accept their works because they're not covered by the blood of Christ. They're still inside the camp. They haven't gone outside the camp to where Christ died on the cross very clearly. And so if you are a Christian today, God accepts Christ and your works in Christ. And when we work and when we worship in this way, this is our, it's called our spiritual act of worship. So with that in mind, those two applications, I just have just a couple comments in closing, and then I'm going to read from, from, from the Scriptures. But at the end of the day, to go outside the camp, to bear the reproach of Christ, is to follow Jesus. And to put it another way, wherever Jesus goes... We go that means even to death, right? Jesus is worth it. I, I, I remember one, one of my kids just texting me this week and say sin is just not worth it, daddy and I'm just text back and I said you're right See, it's not worth it it's just not worth it. Wherever Jesus goes we go wherever whatever he does, then that's what we do Jesus said matthew 16:24 if anyone would come after me, what does he say let him Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. We must never forget that as Christians. Whoever will save his life, we will lose it. We live for for Christ. We live for something greater than us. He is worthy. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I second comment here, I, I love the unity of the Bible as we get ready to bring Hebrews to an end. I don't think there's any book in the Bible that brings the unity of the Bible together like the book of Hebrews. It has been the best thing. I, I, as far as I know, now don't, don't hold me to this, I have got two more sermons, and we are done with the book of Hebrews. But I love the unity. And, uh, and, and so one of the things I do when I, when that helps me is to go to other places that speak about the same because we do it all the time and it's so helpful so look at verse 14 one more time for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come at the end of the day our motivation and this is part of our application today as well our motivation is still the promise of God still in the future the city that is to come If you would, turn with me to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, just a few pages over from Hebrews. And this is where where we will close today. And when I read these verses, I'm going to read verses 12 to 21. Think about this verse. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And think about that as I read verses 12 to 21 in closing of Philippians 3. Excuse me, I lost my page there. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Brothers, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Because there are some that, that are not mature, that do not think this way. This is why we listen to preaching, so that we might become mature. As we and preaching here at Grace is always based upon the Bible, the Word of God. I press on. So anyway, back to verse fifteen. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal God will reveal that also that also to you. Only let us. Hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Goes back to Hebrews. There's a couple weeks ago. Follow your teachers. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And then I'm going to move over to, to chapter 4, verse 1 only, and we'll close with this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. Father, we give, or Heavenly Father, we, 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 we give thanks for your goodness to us and in, in your word today in, in Hebrews 13 that we have a Christian altar. In the last couple weeks as we've considered this. Particularly today. Therefore we are to go outside the camp. And Father we bring all of our sins outside the camp. And we lay them upon Christ. Where they are all burned up. This is the atonement. This is the cross of Christ. In which we stand. All of our sins are forgiven. They are expiated. They are propitiated. Father, we are the most blessed people on the earth. I pray, Father, that today, if someone is not a Christian here, that they, they may hear just one little truth here today and just turn and be saved. For Christians, for myself, for all of us, may we grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we hear these words preached. Lord, whatever waits us this week, we know that... that uh, the Lord Jesus has gone outside the camp and bore our reproach. And we we can endure. So I pray these things today. Give, give us great grace and help, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.